the SF Music Tech Summit, recorded live by Media One Audiovisual. To learn more about us, visit us online at MediaOneAudio.com. We're here to talk about what's happening with mobile and music. Uh, we've got an amazing panel here. I'd like everyone to just do a 10-second intro of who they are and what's keeping them busy this week other than this conference. So starting on my far left, Ms. Christina Kellio. Hi, so I'm Christina Kelly. I work at Microsoft in the Interactive Entertainment Business Unit, which is a long way of saying Xbox for the most part. Uh, and we also work on all the Windows uh, phone uh, applications and development. And what else is keeping me busy this week? It's just uh, work. Yeah. <laughs> Anything specific? <laughs> uh, a lot of work. A lot of work. We've okay. got, you know, we've got a full range of um, products launching this fall, just like probably most companies. So, it la the last kind of like run before holiday launch. Yep. Peter. Yeah. Hi, I'm Peter, uh, the founder and CEO of Mood Agent. Pull your mic in just a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so the founder and CEO of um, Mood Agent, and we do mobile applications that generate playlists based on your moods and uh, recommendations um, to match to either iTunes or any other music store. And um, busy this week with trying to build the streaming element of our service. Okay. St Steve Jang, right? Yeah. Right, yeah. okay. Um, Steve Jang, uh, co-founder and CEO of uh, Schematic Labs. Uh, we're a local company here in San Francisco. Um, we're the makers of an app for iOS devices called Sound Tracking. It allows you to uh, share your music moments or your favorite songs as they happen. Um, tag a photo and a location together with that to make a, a small musical uh, postcard, a playable music postcard from your phone. And you're able to follow others and sort of um, see what they're doing. And you're able to share uh, one tap into Facebook, Twitter, and Foursquare uh, from our app and service. And what keeps me up and busy tonight, tomorrow, and the rest of the week is uh, just uh, building new product stories out and, and um, releasing them into the uh, wonderful app store. Which is a very easy process, right? Simple. Very simple. simple. <laughs> building an app or a colonoscopy, which do you prefer? There's more fun in building an app. Oh, okay, just checking. Doing a licensing deal with a major label or a colonoscopy? Yeah, in a previous lifetime. Okay. Jeff. I'm Jeff Hughes. I'm the chief executive of Omniphone. Omniphone's a uh, B2B music provider for uh, the likes of uh, Sony Corporation globally, HTC, REM, HP, um, Sony Ericsson, and some others. Uh, we provide all of the back-end technology services as well as all the licensing service. And what's keeping me busy now is trying to keep all those people happy. Mr. Schwartz. Um, <clears throat> Matt Schwartz um, at Verizon Wireless. Uh, do new market development and strategic partnerships. Uh, mainly responsible for the uh, media category, very specifically for music, uh, as well as a couple other media uh, categories. Uh, and also handle some of our uh, innovative uh, funnel for new application developers as well on our 4G network. Uh, and this week, we're actually doing our developer conference uh, where I'm heading tomorrow in Las Vegas, unfortunately. Um, and for our... You have to go to Vegas. <laughs> for our Vcast apps, um, which is our premier uh, application distribution. It's available on Android and RIM and uh, soon to be other platforms. Cool. And I'm Ted Cohen. I run a company called Tag Strategic. Uh, we try and help small startups get bigger, and we try and help big companies not act stupidly. Um, and I've been coming to this, I think, since Brian and Shoshana started this. How many of you are first-timers? Wow. And how many of you have been here more than once or twice? Veterans that you would call yourself. Okay, it's evenly balanced. Okay, um, I will say this. The way I do a panel, I don't wait for questions at the end. If somebody says something that you feel you want to make a reasonable comment, not a commercial for what you're doing, but a reasonable comment or a question, raise your hand and we'll get to it immediately. I don't want to wait till the end for some burning issue. You came here because you wanted to learn something, and so if you leave here today going, I never found out what I wanted, it's because you didn't raise your hand and ask the question or try and steer the conversation. This is highly interactive, and it gets 
sometimes confrontational, depending on who's up here, although this is a relatively, well, Steve's aggressive. Steve's probably, yeah, Steve's the troublemaker on this group. Um, Mobile has changed things. A few years ago, we used to talk about when things got fast enough, when the, when the bandwidth on your mobile device got big enough, when you had enough storage on your phone, when the screen was clear enough. I think we've gotten there. So the question is now, is mobile music a satisfying consumer experience? How many people have mobile music on their phone? How many of you are happy with it? How many of you are unhappy with it? Why are you unhappy with it? It's like everything else. You know, the emperor has no clothes, but where's the human element in this shit? You know? Okay, so by human element, go for it. Curation? Well, it could be curation, but it's just, you know, I think that with mobile, the convenience that it offers doesn't solve the million-dollar question. Is more content necessarily a better thing? Is having a choice for 15 zillion songs the answer to the question, or is it getting really good, you know, guidance in terms of how to find stuff from people that know what they're talking about. Okay, so... You can't solve that problem. Curation, filtration, personalization. Masturbation. I Masturbation. <laughs> I mean, it really depends. I, I don't claim to have the answer to that, but that's the dissatisfying thing about mobile. And to be fair, that might not be a problem inherent to mobile in and of itself. Okay. Christina, how do we make that better? You've looked at this. Yeah, I mean, I think actually there are a lot of services out there that do great recommendations where you can, you know, obviously put the song in and get good <coughs> feedback. So you don't like any of those services? Well, the problem is agenda. It's not a problem. In fact, the people here may be the solution to that problem. It's a problem with the music industry. It started in the late 1960s and early 70s. Yeah, but we've taken it out of their hands. You can't blame them anymore. I mean, the music, the music's there now. You can't say that it's EMI's fault that you're not having a great music experience on your phone. That's a little... I can blame them for a lot of other things, but not That's for that. Point, but the people who've lost that are trying to get their way back in and, and get the control of it. I know some of those people. Independent music promoters are really trying to get into not just the world of mobile, but the internet in particular, and they want to tell you what you should be listening to instead of what you want to listen to. You want to continue? Or Peter, you want to jump in? No, I mean, that's, I, we actually take the same stance that um, that problem should be solved and addressed, and the way that we do it is by using the taste in music that you already have, the stuff you already curated, to find other stuff like it. It doesn't have to be on the list of uh, some, some hit list or some, uh, some labels preferred marketing pitch. Uh, but that's using music to find music uh, is, is the way we, we solve it. Uh, so but, but what, are you, what are you not seeing? Are you not seeing the indies that you want or the what? I, th I think it's, it's hard to say exactly what it is, but if I were to put my, if I were to describe it as precisely as possible, it would be the idea that I think there's still an obsession Maybe it's not the people in this room, by the way. In fact, I, I think the people in this room may be the ones who are going to solve some of these problems. Um, so I want to stress on being positive about this. Okay. Because you were kind of being a bummer there for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> I'll show you a bummer. Really, what I'm talking about is, is you know, He's also this a client. Has 10 million songs. And this song has 15 million songs that we've got. You could stream every song known to man in the universe, but I don't see that that is helping educate consumers to find what's good, especially if 80% of those songs, let's face it, are utter crap. Jeff, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's clear that uh, things have gotten better. It's clear that a lot of the, the issues they articulated did exist, and they still do. But there's companies like Grace Note, there's companies like the Echo Nest, there's companies like Peter's company that are working very hard to solve these problems. And, and to say that you know, we haven't moved a long way in the last year or last two years would be wrong. I think that you know, a, a service that listens to you, learns from music, as Peter was saying, learns from what you play, um, is it, is it, does it have to be all technologically generated? Can it be curated as well? Is there, some, is there some magic combination of the two? Those are the questions that everyone's wrestling with right now. And I think the positive thing from my point of view is all of our customers are coming to us now and saying it's about curation. We want to make sure that uh, in order to have a, a successful music service, I, the one that people actually want to use, it needs to work when you turn it on. It needs to have good music. You need to be able to discover, you need to be able to discover new music. And saying good music is different for everyone because 
music's very emotional, it's very personal. Um, and so, you know, when people use the system uh, and it learns about them and it's throwing them new suggestions all the time, I think that's great. Social aspects, uh, some of the new services that are coming out that are social, you get to see what your friends are listening to, you can play those songs right away. That's, that's, a, that's a service that one of our customers, RIM, is launching now. It's very, very good because people like to see what other people listen to. And I think, you know, the technologically solutions combined with a bit of curation where, you know, you're not picking from 15 million, you're picking from 1,000. Uh, but there's, that's still quite a lot. Um, I think those are the ways these are being solved. And I think in 12 months' time next year when we're sitting here, uh, there will be some good solutions out there. They won't all be good, but there will be some good solutions out there. And, and the progress that we're making as a, as a provider of, of solutions, which I think we're all up here um, representing, is, is phenomenal. And it, it's 10 times better than it was two years ago. Who else uh, is unhappy with their music service? Everyone else is happy. Oh, we got a hand. Why are you unhappy? Okay. How do we? Has it settled down that things work now, or are we still in? Are we still in the customer's beta tester mode? Oh, I think there's still a lot of things that need to be worked out. And the good news is, um, there are groups like the the digitalmusic.org that mm -hmm. Bill Wilson's here with that's really starting to kind of pull together people that have common problems because anyone who's running a subscription service has similar issues right now with takedowns and catalogs that move and artists going from one place to the next and and any of that can stop a consumer cold and then they don't come back to try subscription music they just find other ways to get to their music so those are big issues that still need to be solved Matt, what are some of the services that you're using, and what are some of the ones that you like that you might not necessarily be using? Well, you know, I use them all, uh, almost, okay. on, almost on a daily basis. So I'm okay. not kind of your normal average music listener, but um, kind of, I'm not sure if your question was kind of aimed at if you're listening to a service and you change between networks and it drops and you're no longer having a play. That's my biggest gripe. Um, because I'm listening to Slacker, I'm listening to Pandora, whatever it is. If I go from like you know 3G to 1X, suddenly it 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 doesn't just pause, but it pauses indefinitely, and then I have to quit the application, and then I open up another music service application. That's probably why I listen to a lot every day. Um, so that's kind of an issue. But I actually just met an interesting fellow whose company specifies in um, recoding uh, music tracks um, so that um, it has higher bandwidth streaming. And he streams two different, two different streams simultaneously. One is a continuous cache, while the other is the actual real-time play. So if your real-time play pauses, it goes to the cache that's happening underneath the layer. So there's some technological advances that are happening to counter that. But that's my biggest gripe right now with all the music services. It's really frustrating, especially when you're driving to, if you have like an hour commute, which I do from New York City out to Baskin Ridge, New Jersey, I, there's two areas I know that I hit where I'm going to go from 4G, which is absolutely wonderful. If you guys don't have it yet, get it. Uh, it's worth it uh, in every way. Um, but then I hit 1X, and it just everything drops. And then you know, I'm half a mile later, I'm back on 4G. But in the meantime, my music service got cut. Um, so there, you know, there should be some technology advances that come around for that. But uh, um, that's, uh, you know, I wouldn't say any specific music service does it any better than anyone else. Some have a better caching. Uh, you know, smart caching, uh, like Spotify does a pretty good job of that. Um, RDO does a really good syncing on that as well. So those are two that I think do a pretty good job as it relates to, you know, kind of counteracting that from a cash perspective. Christina, you were talking about the hub before. Can you explain what the hub is? Yeah, so uh, when uh, we kind of started from scratch on Windows Phone operating systems and started Windows Phone 7 last year, the idea was really to make it simple for people uh, to find things that they need. And so one of the things uh, that's there is this music and entertainment hub, just like there's a people hub that integrates all your Facebook and your social stuff and photos from all different places. And that, I think, now makes it very simple, no matter what service you're using, to mm -hmm. find all of the services in one place. So, um, you know, if you do have, if you are switching from one app to another, you don't have to kind of like scroll through the menu to find one. Uh, you can just go to the hub and find everything there. Okay. How important does anyone, anyone feel context is? I mean, when we're on the move, we're, we're in San Francisco today and I get a playlist generated by RDO and I'd love it to tell me that one of the bands that came up in the playlist is playing somewhere either here in San Francisco tonight or knows that I'm going back. I mean, doesn't know I'm going back to L.A., but knows I'm based in Los Angeles based on my, pro my profile and says to me, oh, do you know that band's playing Friday night at the Mint in L.A.? Um, is, it, is context important, Steve? 
I mean, it's important to your app. So, I mean, I don't mean that as a yeah. softball. I mean, soundtracking is about context. So, I mean, let's yeah, it's, be fair here. But in general, I mean, when you thought about music and, and location. Yeah, I think, you know, I think with a lot of people's music experiences, they kind of, uh, they kind of rely upon a, a user experience very similar to Google, right? Right. You, you, you go in and you make a search because you want to listen to a certain artist or a certain song, and, and you, t you type in the keyword, and then uh, you get sort of the on-demand um, result, immediate satisfaction. And I think uh, we're all used to that. We're, we've all been used to that for over 10 years, and, and that's fun, and that's very useful. I think the, the, the context sort of in the moment, in the real time, whether it's through algorithm or whether it's through um, social follow, social follow feed systems and things like that. Elaborate um, on that. So social follow. So Go yeah, for like that. when you look at Facebook or Twitter or Foursquare or even your Spotify or RDO feed, you're following people um, uh, primarily. What they actually post in that feed is up to them. So you're choosing to follow people, and they're individually curating to you what they're listening to or what they're feeling or what their music moment is. Um, and I think there's some level of unknown and a little bit of magic in that. And I think uh, the ability to use location data, where your phone takes the GPS location and says, did you know that this is trending right now in this particular neighborhood or city or even venue? Um, I think that's really exciting. I think that's part of the magic of like early apps that really innovated in this area, like Shazam and SoundHound. Um, not a lot of people understand the software technology behind it, but to hold up a phone and to capture an audio recording and to have it tell you exactly what song and who sang that song or who created that song, that's magic. Even to people like me and many of us here in this room that understand that technology, it's still magical. And I think like when you create an experience where you create that sort of human complexity and happenstance and serendipity and, and that magic through context, that's really exciting. And so that's like what we're doing, what Mood Agent is doing. Um, so what kind of feedback are you getting I mean, in terms of as you're evolving the app? What have, you, what have been some of the lessons so far in terms of things that you started out? Where, where, how has it evolved in, in, in your feedback loop from users? What, are you, what have you taken to heart? So I, so I, always, I always lean towards this stance. Um, at my prior company, I mean, we kind of wanted to do social playlists as expression first and then consumption second. Um, and I think I'm doing that again at this, uh, with this new product and new company, which is you can hard code as much of the ways that you want your user community to, to consume music. You can say, I want you to discover music this way, and I'm going to build the product to do this. But I think it's a lot easier to sort of get excited about it personally mm -hmm. if you're just creating a better way for people to express themselves and let people who are following them uh, discover it in their own way. And so I think what we've learned is let people descri describe their music moment or the reason why they're particularly excited or sad or happy. Um, just give them better ways to express that through a photo, through adding a location, through adding a, a personalized comment. So it's like a caption to this music moment rather than just saying, hey, I'm listening to this, which has no context. Right. I could listen to something because Taylor's listening to some uh, song that, you know, I don't particularly like, but he's listening to, so I, I press play just to see what it is. And that shows up in some type of scrobbling feed or things like that. But you have no idea whether I liked it or not. And a like button and star ratings, these all help. But, um, you know, I don't think we walk around and say, what do you think of that? Well, I give it four stars. Or, like, <laughs> you actually use words. You actually have a facial expression. And, and these are the types of things that I think, you know, why photos are popular and why music is always popular with everyone. How important to any this is open to everybody and I'd actually like to hear everybody's thoughts on this how open how important is open architecture in music services these days in terms of APIs being able to plug in I mean I'll start out by saying I think it's critical for any of these services to succeed but I don't know Matt would you agree absolutely uh, you know absolutely I think uh, you know the development of the services requires an open API structure so that um, people in this room other developers can use the music streaming API, things that like RDO has done with their open API has allowed development of uh, other, you know, innovative applications. Spotify just opened it up and we're already seeing like Ecofy, you know, that has helped uh, increase um, uh, the advancement of how people can utilize music services. So I think it's really important. And, um, 
you know, there needs to be collaboration um, so that there can be advancement, period. Jeff? Well, I think, I think what matters is, is that it just works. And I think that there's an important distinction to draw between, you know, all the stuff that we're talking about, which for us is very important because we're thinking, perhaps we don't know it, but we're thinking about the things that are going to happen in 12 to 18 months. We might think that it's the most important issue right now, things like contacts and all that. Very, very important for us because we need to be building it. But right now you need a very, to the gentleman's point in the back, you need a very simple service that when you turn it on, it works. Uh, you need to make sure that um, you train people so that they don't, they're not presented with a, with a search window when they open up a new service because nobody wants that, and, and the people that do want that already have it. Uh, so you need, you need good curation. You need um, a, a service that, that doesn't have bugs, that works. Now, whether or not you open up the APIs, I think it depends on what you mean. I think, you know, uh, from our point of view, we open up our APIs to the people that we want to open them up to. So it's sort of somewhere between open and closed, and we found that to be very, very successful because... We're able to innovate with our partners, um, but we don't innovate with everyone. Um, and uh, that's, a, that's an ongoing debate within our company. I think the important thing is that you have a service that, that you train people to use more and more. So as they, as they use a the service, they get the music they want. They see that the recommendations are good, so they start using the recommendations. They see that more like this is good, like the Amazon model that's been around for 10 years, uh, and they start using it. They see that, okay, maybe it's not so scary to search. Maybe it's not so scary to have contextual searches. Maybe it's not so scary to have, I have a concert around the corner for me. But right now, today, the audience that we need to convince is not the audience in this room, it's the audience in, in the world that wants a simple music service that works every single time and that presents music that you want to hear. Yeah, no, I, I fully agree. Uh, but I, we like, I mean, we keep a very closed uh, API as well and only work with sort of select partners uh, with whom we see a, a, a great benefit. But uh, we would like to see that actually the operating systems on the devices or the apps architecture was open so that apps could more easily interact with each other so that we could like we could post a mood to some other app and they could take it from there or the other way around. And Ms. C? Um, and I was actually going to kind of answer the question in the same way because that's one of the things that um, Windows Phone on the software side is really focused on is uh, making available a lot of different options for apps and in this next update you'll be able to link app to app um, in, in very relevant and kind of contextual ways. Now you tell so. <laughs> what was that? What was that? He said, now you tell me. Oh. So there was, for the past two years, everybody's been waiting very excitedly for Spotify to arrive in the U.S. And because we were a third world country until Spotify got here. Um, and when Spotify arrived, that was going to be the magic bullet halo effect that all music services would, it would lift all boats. So now Spotify's been around for a couple months. Have the boats lifted? Has there been this groundswell of adoption of mobile music uh, around Spotify? Or is it still going to take the folks in Cupertino to invent music subscription? I made it's a sarcastic remark. Um, and, and then once Cupertino invents subscription, then once we all realize that it was something that we all should have thought of a long time ago, will it then take off? In other words, what's, what's still the inhibiting factor that mobile music, which seems have, having what I want in my pocket with good recommendation, with decent bandwidth, with reasonable caching tools, all these great things now, we're still sitting around maybe in the aggregate, 5 million users out of 150 million? What's, what's the gating factor, Matt? You sit there looking at those numbers. Yeah, well, I mean, it, you know, Spotify hasn't taken off on mobile yet in the U.S. Um, it's certainly not on Verizon yet. We hope that it will. Um, but there are gating factors, I think. First is the price. Uh, you know, it's more expensive than Netflix, yet it's offering less than a cent in terms of budgets for how much music costs to make versus films. Um, secondly... Yeah, but don't you listen to music more than the number of movies you would watch on a handset? I mean... Uh, well, yeah, I do. I mean, I think music's a, inherently a better media type for, the, for a smaller handset than an actual video. It's hard to watch a full movie and really feel like you're watching something. TV shows are okay, mm -hmm. um, but that might change, you know, as um, screen sizes get a little bit better and the resolution gets better as well. So. But I, I think, you know, the point I'm trying to make is there needs to be a better value for consumers, both from a cost perspective and then also from a... Um, kind of like a usage perspective. The cost is, should come down, I think it's probably at least, you know, 50% too high right now. They could definitely come down a lot. I think second- Who agrees with that, that music's too expensive? Or premium music, that is. Oh, okay. Two of you, how many think it's worthwhile? Premium music or Spotify? 
music. On, on demand streaming music. Nine ninety nine is not too expensive per month for everyone. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Okay, well, maybe we'll this is a it very right. friendly, much friendlier crowd than I expected. Good. Okay. Well, you guys are probably. I mean, it's funny. We sit around drinking five dollars Starbucks cups of coffee, and we're arguing over whether music is worth nine dollars a month. Well, I mean, it's, I never it, get. I don't understand that. It, it could be that it's part partially. This is a you know a music, an avid music. No, these here. are usually the people that are stealing the music. No, I'm <laughs> kidding, kidding, kidding. For, it's become much friendlier in this room than it was a couple of years ago. But I, I think also for, for most people who don't have a hundred <laughs> songs that they listen to, um, it's uh, music needs to become more part of your daily life on your mobile phone for it to become more valuable for most people in America. In other words, you know, after you've figured out the hundred songs that you like and you've created your you know five or six playlists, you know. How else do you discover music? And it's from your social graphs. And but social is not necessarily really there yet in terms of uh, bringing the true, you know, integrated music experience. And people, we've heard rumors that Facebook's working on something, and hopefully they do something good for that. Google has been making attempts. I don't think they're fully there yet, but um, they'll get there eventually. But once music starts becoming integrated into um, your social network, and if you're hitting that and you're seeing what all of your other friends and your friends' friends are listening to on a daily basis. That gives you, you know, a way to find music, other music, to your point, too, about, you know, recommendations and finding other music uh, and making it more valuable to you to be able to play that. So your $9.99 a month is getting you more music, in a sense, than you would have thought about previously. So that's kind of what I think. I was just going to say, I think, um, maybe not for people in this room, $9.99 is kind of proven to be too high at the moment because we're not seeing the uptake that you would see otherwise. And I think but do you a really bit, think of, let's say it's five bucks a month now, you really think there'd be that much more uptake? If, do you think people no, no, notice? Think, my cell bill is 200 bucks a month. Do you think I notice if it's $9 or $5? Seriously. Or, I mean, if you look at DirecTV, you're paying, you know, DirecTV, my bill's 100 and something a month. Would I notice if a music service was bundled in there? I think part of the problem is you have other services like, well, what's Netflix a month? Well, yeah, look at the backlash. Well, Netflix just doubled. Yeah. Well, look at the backlash, back, uh, backlash that happened on Netflix when they changed their rates. I mean, not that it was that big a deal, two bucks, you know, everyone freaked out. I mean, and that's, you know. So who canceled? How many people canceled Netflix over the price rise? I, well, I didn't do it because of the cost. I did it because of the principle of it. <laughs> I but they, but I, I mean, use, yes? I didn't even use the CDs. Made an adjustment to other areas. Okay, you stopped eating. Okay, right. That was the adjustment. <laughs> right. Yeah, but they're paying seventy-five, a hundred bucks to go to a concert. Well, well, they'd okay, rather so steal the music, but they can't steal the live experience. They're spending the money to go to a show because they can't steal the live experience. Oh, yeah. Well, no, the recording industry, I'm saying, but, but there, where, where you can't have that leakage, people do pay whatever's, whatever the going rate is. Yeah, but isn't that the reason that we process it? Absolutely, and we should. No, I understand. Yeah, I mean, that's no, I pay my son's $200 phone bill. <laughs> Seriously. I'm, not, I'm, pay, I'm paying my son. That, that $200 phone bill is not mine. I'm talking about my, I was actually talking about my son's iPhone bill. Okay. So well, I, Other I, I thoughts? Think, Steve, go jump in. So, please. like... I hear, uh, I agree, 9.99, like just from historical fact, evidence-wise, is too much for the product that's been sold at 9.99. But I feel like uh, there isn't sort of a hard and fast dollar number per month. It's like, what are you off? What's the product or the experience you're offering for that 9.99? And if it's just <laughs> access like it was five years ago, then I don't think Americans want to pay that. It's just, it's been proven. There's been a ton of money that Rhapsody and MTV and Napster threw into the market to acquire users and then churn them out like right away. As soon as you realize it was still on your bill, you were like, I'm done. But if you, if you implicitly were excited and having great music experiences, and right at that peak, someone offered you like, hey, there's a ticket for like that Bonnie Iverre concert at the Fillmore, but it's tomorrow and it's sold out. There are a ton of people that I know that are super crabby about spending money on anything that were on Craigslist offering like $80, $100 a ticket. And it's like, so it always makes me think, like, where's the Netflix for concert tickets? But anyways, but the, the amazing thing is that if you look at, like, so I can't project my own social circle on, on the larger population, but if you look at it, I have a lot of friends who will not pay for RDO or Spotify, even though their significant others or, like, friends might be, like, loving it and using it. Um, but they'll pay for concert tickets. They'll pay for that 
download that they need to get that one album, and they'll they'll pay like ten bucks right there. For okay, one album. so I guess it brings the question: What is the tipping point of cost versus the value? Making it where is it? Is it five at five dollars a month? Does everybody come in, Taylor? What? That's what what's the value proposition exactly? I agree. I'm going to, I'm going to tease Matt for a moment, but about ten years ago at this time, Verizon, not not mobile, but Verizon broadband was advertising. Sign up for Verizon Broadband, pay $40 a month, and download thousands of songs. It was an easy value proposition. I can get 10,000 songs for $40 a month. I'm all set. Uh, how do we articulate it? You're now, I mean, you went through the Rhapsody Verizon partnership. That's right. You're now, you're now uh, featuring other services. Where is this disconnect? And Taylor's right. There is a disconnect on what the value is. Well, well to... To summarize the Verizon Rhapsody relationship, we, we were one of the first to bring streaming music to a mobile device that was also your cell phone. And it was we were very early in the relationship, so it was it's it was still too much money. Then it was fourteen ninety nine a month, and that's you know, label driven. Um, and uh, and you had to tether your your phone, it was still, you know, copyrighted content, you had to tether your phone to your computer. It wasn't the best experience yet. There was no Android, it didn't exist yet. Um, and there was no Rhapsody mobile application. So a lot's changed since then. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and we've taken a very open stance in that we want to satisfy our customers. And we want to allow uh, them to dictate um, how the development uh, gets advanced um, so that the services will listen to the customers and you know, keep uh, making the services better. And when you um, say you listen to your customers, how do you listen to your customers? Do you do focus groups? Do you reach out to them? How do you? What's what's the feedback loop? Uh, we do. We do. We use Nielsen on certain. Um, we've done pricing studies. We've we do uh, focus groups as well. Um, yeah. So we do a little bit of everything. Um, but to answer um, his specific point about, and, and also Steve's as well, when you go to a concert, you know what to expect. You pay a price, you're going to go to the show, and that's it. You got it. You're done. You know, there's no more like you're not going to pay 80 bucks next month for, you know, recurring shows, although that is an interesting model, um, <laughs> but not at 80. Um, but and um, in college kids, you know, they want a song. They want it then. And that's the song they want. Right. So how do you make a streaming service more valuable for people? And kind of to my point earlier is you need to make it more part of their daily life so that if they see songs that they want, it's just they already have the access. Or they keep not having to find a way to download it, get to the computer where they you know, have all their antivirus things or whatever, where they can be anonymous and download their song or whatever. Um, if, it's, if they keep seeing songs from what their friends are and they want to listen to it right there instead of having to go through the rigmarole of trying to get it, they already just have the access. And, you, and then price is you know, not the ultimate factor. It's, it's more the ease and the simplicity of having that. So I think that's kind of how you solve that problem. Okay. But, I mean, couldn't you, couldn't you imagine a model where, um, I mean, even though you, I mean, the, I think the problem is that it's a fixed cost for the access, but uh, you, know, you don't always want that freedom. Sometimes you just want to lean back and get played whatever. And maybe they throw in an ad or what, what have you. Would, would that be possible to have sort of a, a more flexible or dynamic model where you, like, 20% of the time you have the flexibility and then 80% of the time you get ads and stuff? Would that work with a... With a carrier? It's actually, so I'm not a carrier, but it's actually interesting. That's exactly the model that Sony have now. So the, the, the service that Sony have is you pay $2.99 and you can have the lean back channel generated, you know, and you pay $9.99 and you can have it on any device you want, anywhere you want it, whenever you want it. So, so you know, that, and, and the idea is to move people up through is what I was saying before, you, tr you train them to use it. I, th I think if you look at um, pay TV, which Ted referred to earlier, I mean, you know, there was a time in, in the U.S. and other countries where everybody said, there's no way I'm going to pay for my TV um, because it's free, and it should be. Um, and, and over time, people get almost trained that, it, that it's not free um, and that you can have a lot larger selection, a lot, new a lot of new services if you pay for it. And now it's accepted. Uh, and I think you know, the music industry is kind of in, that, in, in the beginning of that. And I think you'll, you'll have bundling, which is key. I'd be interested to hear what you think about that. But... Um, you know, bundling it into a service with other types of content uh, so that the, the, the actual price of the music isn't hidden, but it's aggregated with everything else. Uh, works very well. That's how pay TV took off, and that's how they've grown their RP with, through customers. Um, and so I think it's not a question of what's the price. It's first, make the thing work. Second, figure out uh, how, how you gradually improve it so you can increase the value. And third, bundle it with other, uh, other services and follow the pay TV model. I, I agree with everything you said, especially the bundling part. Um, but... I, just in my experience with product, music product, mobile especially, is 
You want to reduce the complexity in terms of purchasing decisions. Right. If every if you're creating all these great ways of discovery and social interaction around music, and then every time they enter into like a play scenario in the flow, and then you hit them up with like it's two bucks for that, pay for a subscription for this. I think we just lose people. I think we just kill the experience, and I think I think it's I think it's it's got to be simple. I think that uh, when you're talking about music. So, so things like shopping, you can actually do that. And because everyone's in that mode of like a research product, they're going to make a purchasing decision. They're going to feel good about getting a discount or mm -hmm. like getting a deal. I think with music, I'll make an argument that most of us just want to listen to the music and have a great emotional experience and not all of a sudden be pulled out of that and be thinking about like, let me make a price elasticity judgment here on whether or not I'm willing to pay for this particular playback experience versus that. And just in my experience, like we've tried everything. And I mean, we had premium subscriptions, we had ad support, we'd blow you up with ads, audio ads, video ads, text links. I mean, we tried, the things that responded the best um, tended to be the things that were the least intrusive. So removing it uh, from the music yeah, experience I mean, we, as much as possible. We've seen the success of Pandora, which is a total lean back experience. It's, it's, it's borders on wallpaper, but it's, I mean, it's a good musical experience, but it, it's not really. But I'd, I'd argue that Pandora's ad model actually started really working when they started doing audio ads. Because mm -hmm. most people don't stare at Pandora when they use Pandora. Right. They're using it while they're working or right. cooking or driving or something like that, right? And so the audio ads um, started engaging well mm -hmm. in the in the last two three years for Pandora, right. and that's really what kind of made 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 it go into the black. But, but are we over? I mean, I guess I would ask the question: Are we overestimating people's desire to control the experience, or are they very happy just leaning back and being entertained? I mean. It seems 90 million people seem to think that it's okay to just give me a Steely Dan channel and I'm happy. I don't think it's a binary. I think some people want to lean back. Like sometimes I listen to Pandora and I just turn it on and I'm cooking. And sometimes I'm like in RDO and Spotify and totally manually changing playlists like, like, like it's going to make a huge difference. Okay. Right? And, um, and so I, I, think, I think we're all things at different times. But I think the, the most important thing actually is one, one layer down. Right. Is that all the mobile platforms the device manufacturers with mobile platforms mm -hmm. make it easy for all the developers, the three of us right here in the middle, right. to create really interesting applications. That's what the API, are, the API layer I was talking about. That are visually beautiful, right. right? Not the old J2ME, like, oh my <laughs> god, like, when 8-bit was not cool, like, you don't want, like, you don't want that. Like, you want to create something visually beautiful that right. someone's willing to pay for or, or, or open up every day and be be delighted to look at right. and to see their friends and people that they care about talking about real things, genuine things about music and mm -hmm. then learning from that and taking that into a full playback experience, just that flow itself is still hard to do. Yeah. And so whether it's iOS, Android, Microsoft, Palm, or I don't know. Is HTML5 HTML yeah. going to fix this? HTML5, yes. Is that going to fix that? I mean, that? that helps. It'll help? Nothing is like the, the cure all, but if we could have that, right. plus all the music-specific APIs, like Spotify, RDO, right. iTunes has an API that not a lot of people know about. It's pretty good. What? Um, it's called iTunes, right? No? Yeah, it's, it's called iTunes. So. API. No, what is it? I know. What, yeah, is, it. what is it? What's the, what's the well, iTunes? It's just, it's just a song search lookup. You yeah. get back a 30-second preview and a download link, and you, you know, that's great. Yeah. Right? That solves a lot of problems. Um, so anyways, device, platform, uh, APIs, plus these music metadata, like Echo Nest is a great source for that. It's probably the best singular source for open developer APIs. A lot of these are not commercially available, which is kind of a nuance, which uh, you run into a lot. And that's the okay. music industry's fault, and they need to work on that. But So who in the room is working on an API for, me, for the services? What are you working on? So, and what's the, what's the experience? Just basically finding tickets around what you're listening to? That's a pretty clear message. Okay, I like that message. Buy our tickets, give us money. Okay. Who else? Uh, there was a hand in the back, though, in the middle before I had a quote. Yeah, you. I see you way, way back. Okay. Anybody else working on an interesting API for a music service that they want to uh, testify about? Go ahead. It's a revival meeting. Get up. <laughs> Cool. Anybody else? Yes. You bought the drinks. <laughs> we like you. Cool. I was going to say, 
And then way back in the back, in the hat in the back there. Elaborate. What does that do? Okay, so use case. So whether it's YouTube. Okay. We have about 10. Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yes, you, sir. Cool. We have about 10 minutes left. Questions for this illustrious panel up here that we haven't touched on? Ideas, criticism, insults. Go ahead. Yes. Okay. One sec, one conversation. I'm being hall monitor over here. Go ahead, ask your question again. Give him a mic if you could so you he can hear it. Hey, thanks. Uh, so this is more of kind of a game and music overlap question. And you know, okay. we've been talking to Sony a little bit and we've talked to Microsoft in the past and trying to figure out like how can we take the cool apps we're building uh, that let people do entertaining things with music beyond listening to it mm -hmm. and bring it out on these platforms uh, like Microsoft Mobile or, or console or what have you. Um, well, you, Christina, you're sitting in a really interesting place being working in the Xbox group, also working on mobile. How do all these things, because people don't do one thing. How do, you, how, do they, how do you play nice across all the different platforms? Well, I think, you know, we want to get to a place in the world where you develop an app and it's available everywhere. Mm -hmm. you know? So um, that's obviously where we want to go. Mm -hmm. um, at the moment, there are, you know, definitely interesting things happening at the different platforms. Some of the things with the new update on Windows Phone, you could do it just the live tiles. You could do multiple live updates. Um, you, there's this App Connect feature where you can connect one app to another. Um, the location-based stuff is built in, Bing Search. So, you know, I do think there are a lot of options for people to get creative. How far away, with using the Xbox Connect device, how far away am I from a minority report experience of I want this. Okay, give me that song there. I mean, are we almost there? I think we're getting pretty close. Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> there's some there's some really interesting things happening with Connect across the board. Okay, you had a question right here. Um, is, is the assumption that enough people are interested in doing a lot of interesting things with music uh, possibly an incorrect one as far as building a business on? I think the numbers are, I mean, according to Russ Krupnik, who doesn't happen to be here today from NPD, who's a really smart guy, more people are, are using music, listening to music. I hate the term consuming because nothing comes out the other end. But uh, people are experiencing music, although there is a lot of shit. Um, <laughs> people are experiencing more music than ever. So uh, it's not, there isn't a disconnect between music and the music fan. There's a disconnect between music and how to properly monetize it and show the value that we seem to be having trouble articulating. So I don't know if it's an incorrect thing to say that there's a opportunity there. I think there is. Anybody, unless, who agrees that there's no opportunity in music? <laughs> oh, good, then you came to the right panel. Okay. <laughs> Why are you here if you think? <laughs> I didn't say I thought that. I was just Okay, it's just a good provocative question. Free. Hey, I got on a plane once and tried to impress a flight attendant that I was working with James Taylor, and she goes, who? <laughs> didn't go home with her. Uh, I found out a lot of people really don't care, but most people do in some way care about music. Steve? So I think um, right now is like the best time ever, Yes. ever, to create music, mobile hands. music Come apps. On. I've been trying for years, like for basically, I mean, I worked on, I worked at Kyocera Wireless on that Verizon Music Virgin mobile phone. Mm -hmm. And I can't tell you how like many of you got your Kyocera phones with you today? <laughs> okay. I mean, this is like 2004, um, but uh, um, it's, you have device, you have like really good device, people complain about Apple and Android, I mean iOS and Android and all that, but it's amazing that it, you don't have to BD your way into a preloaded like ugly app that no one likes. Um, it's amazing that those platforms exist uh, for developers. It's amazing that there's Facebook, Twitter, Foursquare, whatever you want in terms of accessing uh, people's existing social graphs so you don't have to build your own follower base from scratch. And you have a sharing conduit that's that's live and stable somewhat. And then the third piece is you have music metadata and content provisioned. Companies are still working it out, like but there's Echoness, there's Spotify, there's RDO, there's Apple, Amazon to a certain extent. Um, yeah, things so like just, things like DDEX are important. 
Yeah. You forgot you know, the, clean metadata that you know that, you, that what you're listening to. There's also the thing that um, uh, Lucas worked on a few years ago that I think will still come into play, which is Later. interoperable playlists. Yeah. I create a playlist in RDO. I send it to Steve, and it plays in Spotify. Yeah, That's that, critical. Same way that text messaging didn't take off till it worked across all carriers. Yeah. We need interoperable playlists. You can't be worried about what service you're on. Yeah, that's what uh, what uh, Ed was talking about with play, uh, with uh, Tomahawk. Tomahawk is basically a, a, a add-on or an extension. But is it play, it's playlists or is it just well, finding it, where the music? Not, I thought I misunderstood. I thought it was just finding it, where the music. It's not was. really focused on playlists per se. It's just it's it's creating it's disambiguating. What it is that you're disambiguating? Yeah, it's disambiguation right? and then Dis resolution. It's saying, and here's a song to play. Disambiguation. So Got it. The next, yeah. the next buzzword. Everybody yeah. was saying it next it, year. In terms of timing, too, uh, per Steve, the one piece you left out was the network, too. I mean, there's you've never been able to stream like you can stream right now. Yeah, we always forget yeah. about the network. Yeah. Thank you, <laughs> network. Sure. The question right there, Shame ma'am. Ma gets promotion. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes, you look familiar, ma'am, yes. Since one function of the major label is supposed to be marketing music, how many of you have been able to get meetings with major labels to invest in your technologies? Why not? Well, no, I'm just really curious because, you know, you would think that they would be tremendous. There's no label presence here today except for the indies, and I would be, I'm just wondering. Who's here from a major? No, there's a couple of people. Oh, are you from, where are you from? Roadrunner Records. Roadrunner. How long have you been? How long have you been there? Five years. Were you at the retreat with me and Left Sets? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, there's somebody here from EMI, and then Tony's here from Universal. I saw a few major label people in the room. No, I, I would just, you know, it just seems like such a fabulous opportunity to bring it all together, right? Right. Agreed. I mean, the problem, and look, and I was on most of you know, I mean, most a lot of people in the room know I was on the label side of this five years ago. You know, I'd see a company that I wanted to invest in, and they'd say, well, just take equity from them. No, no, we, want to, we should invest in them. No, no, if they want our music, make them give us 5%. You know, so the labels have not traditionally been a great place to go to get money. You might get the content in return for a piece of your flesh, but it hasn't been. Only a few companies have made cash investments that I'm aware of, unless anybody. Rusty, is that you back there? Is that, is that, a, is that, a, is that a reasonable... Because you were, I can see you smiling all the way from there. Right. I think the watershed moment was just before I joined EMI. We got forty percent of a company for giving them five thousand songs. It was a real deal. But Ted, I think I think Sandra was saying that do the major labels invest in marketing and I, and and well, I not not necessarily in in the company. And, and our experience has been that, 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 that all of the labels, majors and independents, have been quite, uh, they've been good business partners. Um, if you, if you, you know, the question is, is this the right time to be in the music industry? You know, there's going to be some winners and losers. There's going to be some consolidation. But I think our experience has been the labels have been, you know, they, 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 they pick some people they think that are going to win. Uh, whether they're right or wrong, I don't know. Uh, and then they, they invest in those partners. So, you know, it, it depends on how, how you engage with them. That's been my experience anyway. Let me take that one back there, and Taylor, I'll come back to you. Yes? Hang on, he's bringing you a mic. He's almost to you. There you Thank go. Thank you. Is it possible that one of the reasons that um, streaming music hasn't been adopted more quickly by the public is uh, simply a, a question of branding? I mean, if you look at where... Uh, you know where the public's money is going. It is it is Cupertino. It is Apple. Well, they I'm have saying. One I, mean, I mean, I say it sarcastically. But if Apple announced subscription tomorrow and said on your iPhone you have a streaming music Isn't that service, simply because everybody I love would go. Apple? Wow. Right. I love Steve their brands. I love their products. I have four of their products. I mm -hmm. I use iTunes every day. I mean, I've never heard of. Uh, I've heard of Spotify, but as a person in the world who doesn't who doesn't go to conferences like these, what the hell is Spotify? Oh, I saw them in the New York Times once and something about music. But it doesn't have the branding that Apple has. Is it is it possible that we need partnerships with heftier brands that that bring more of the public's eye toward them, or is it simply that these companies need to spend more money on marketing and and getting their name out in the open and have them be household names? No, I mean speaking from as a Scandinavian in in Scandinavia and and Northern Europe, Spotify is number one. I mean in Finland, Sweden, Norway, it's like 75% penetration. So it's like water there. You pay for music. You pay for water. That's it. Uh, and I don't think that 
they're going to go down. I mean, they're not going to lose the battle in the U.S. They're going to do whatever marketing is required so that people will know that this is where the water is. But I think you're, you're right, by the way. I think it is, it is, you know, Spotify has a good brand in, in the Nordics, and that's why it does well. Apple has a great brand here. It does well. And I think, you know... They have a we, great we, brand we, on Venus. Yeah. <laughs> we, yeah, exactly. We're trying to partner with big companies for that reason, because, you know, the amount of money it takes to build a brand and the amount of time it takes and the amount of staying power it takes to build a brand is yeah, tremendous. Well, and, uh, you know, those that make it, make it, uh, and, and their brand... Beca- and you look back and go, well, they've got a great brand, but they went through some hard times to get there. Matt, you were going to say? Yeah, I was going to say it's, it goes both ways. I mean, you know, once you have a brand and the, and the ball starts rolling down the hill, it, you know, it picks up speed, right? But Pandora wasn't always a big brand. It just worked, and it mm-hmm. was easy, and people liked it. Um, so if you build a service that works, is easy, people are going to like it. None of the major premium services have done that yet, and part of the problem is they haven't integrated social properly yet. Um, there's a lot of uh, ingredients that haven't really been put together properly yet. I think we're per Steve at that juncture right now. Like it's just starting to happen right now. We'll see who wins. Final provocative question. Let me see if there's anybody, Taylor, only because you've been in the dialogue a lot. Is there anybody? Yes, you in the purple. Prince, go ahead. Matt Schwartz knows me well from our VCAST music with Rapsy. If anyone wants to hear stories, come over. Okay. Hey, Matt. My statistics are probably a little bit dated, but uh, there were numbers floating around a couple years ago that the average American consumer spends about $40 a year total on music. Mm -hmm. And in light of that, uh, and harking back to the earlier pricing discussion, how do we get the labels to a place where they're not essentially overcharging in a way that makes it impossible for everyone in the digital music space to create any revenue for themselves after paying for the music. You're, you're never going to well, get a, a music subscription service down to 60 bucks a year and actually make a profit. Well, they could make a profit. I mean, the question is, we, we, I'll try and do the quick version of this. We as an industry were really excited if an artist sold a quarter of a million. If they sold a half a million, they got a cocktail party and a gold record. If they sold a million, they got part of the building named after them. And if they sold 10 million, we gave them a label and they lost all the money that they made <laughs> on the 10 million records. We got killed, you know. What's his name? Uh, uh, Jermaine Dupree. Ask him about that. But um, so there's 100 million people out there that could could experience music, and it's not based on selling them a 99 cent track anymore. So I would I was arguing inside of EMI and outside of EMI since I left that it's not about devaluing; it's a revaluation. It's not a devaluation of music. It's trying to basically. I agree with you. If we could get 60 dollars a year from 100 million people, it's a bigger business. It really is. It, I mean, it's this could this could you know really be serious. And plus, as you have labels that are doing 360 deals and doing you know back involved in every phase of the artist's life, who cares if you're making you know a, a fraction of what you were making per unit before if you have a if you have a base of 100 million people to market to? So I don't know. Any other thoughts on that? We'll wind this up. I, I would just say I think in some way it'll self-correct because. Uh, Artists and others have choices now, and you can go direct, and you can find other ways to get your music to market. And if uh, things don't evolve and continue to move forward, and you know, I think uh, it'll just kind of uh, collapse on itself, and and there will be alternatives, and then we'll see the price come down or get to a point where people can make money. So Peter, that's I'm sorry. Well, can I, I say one thing first? Sure. I just, yes. I want to make sure, because yeah. otherwise I'll get in trouble, that I did not say that Connect was coming to the phone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, you didn't. Okay, okay. okay good. No. I took that. No. <laughs> yeah, you said that. Can you believe that she said, can I already tweeted that you said, can, I already tweeted that. I connect, did. I'm, I'm like, I got, oh, my God. I've got four tweets here saying, did you hear what Christina Kelly said? <laughs> okay, we're over. Thanks very much. Uh, if you want to continue the dialogue, uh, I'm Spinal Tap on Twitter. <laughs> okay. <laughs>